The scripture reading today is from Luke 14, 1 through 11. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I uh, neglected to uh, tell Heather that I was actually reading two other verses as well. Let me finish that passage real quick. And he also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray that your word would infect us, Lord, that it would speak to us this morning as we know that it can. And Lord, you are speaking uh, today. You're speaking right here and right now. And God, I pray for those that are, that are here this morning that are uh, disconnected, that, that haven't quite uh, made a connection with you, that, Lord, that you, by the power of your Spirit, that you would bring a sense uh, of awe and wonder into their life that would draw them to you, Lord, that they'd see the truth of your Word, and, Lord, that they would respond. And, Lord, for those of us that have just been here uh, doing this for a long time, Lord, I pray that you would awaken us uh, to the reality of who you are again. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. I'm so glad that you're here this morning and, and a part of our church. Um, can I just say just a couple of things? Um, it, we'd love to have you partner with our kids ministry and begin to, to serve there if you haven't uh, started to do so. It'd be a, a huge help. We know that you may not necessarily feel particularly gifted 
or desirous of that type of experience, but we're, we, we need help in there, and that would be such a great opportunity for you to be able to serve people that come to Outward Church, um, and even folks that come to Outward Church for the first time, and occasionally we don't have room for their kids uh, because we are, uh, you know, getting full, and so... Uh, that would be super helpful. Um, secondly, we have a members meeting that's on March 14th. And so if you're a member, we'd love to see you at that. Please don't miss that. That'd be super helpful if you could be there. Um, uh, if, you, if you are a member, that would be awesome. That's after second service on March 14th. You need to register on our app or on the website by uh, March 9th. Today's the 7th, right? Yeah, March 9th. Okay. Yeah, so you still got a little bit of time. So get on the stick. And if we call you and text you and tell you, hey, you haven't signed up yet, um, you'll know why. So, um, and then lastly is this, is that uh, just as we begin the year here, uh, hasn't been like a fantastic uh, financial beginning for the church, hasn't been terrible. We're not in dire straits. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, not that crazy, but it would really help us. Like if you're a, a regular attender that you call our church, your home, uh, uh, we want to encourage you to give to give uh, uh, a tithe to the Lord uh, through the church. That would be super helpful for us as we begin uh, uh, some new endeavors uh, with the church that we'll be talking about um, at the membership meeting. I should say praying about some new endeavors and just that the financial piece is a part of that um, that equation. And so that would be super helpful if you give to that. If, you, if, if Outward Church is not your home, you're just here visiting, you're, um, you're just investigating who Jesus is, we would just encourage you to just please uh, keep, uh, keep your funds and just come and receive. We are happy uh, to serve you in that way. Um, we are in Luke 14. Uh, if you can turn there with me. Uh, we've had a lot of sermons about judgment, and that's because Jesus has been talking about judgment. This one isn't so much about uh, judgment as much as it is about our pride and arrogance, so that'll be better, right? <laughs> so, um, but in, in any case, I think it'll be a, an interesting um, passage. You know, it's easy for us to look at our lives and say, you know, I'm not really all that prideful. I'm not really... Um, uh, I'm not really that, that person that really does those kinds of things, but I think we're, we're kind of missing uh, some things uh, in our lives. Oftentimes, we don't really actually see the reality of who we are. We don't actually see um, what's going on in our, in our lives. And part of it is because many of us just kind of forget that we have blind spots in, in our lives. I was just talking to someone uh, just uh, the other day, a good friend of mine, and we were just talking about life and our, our own struggles and stuff like that. And we were just talking about how the reality is, is that uh, you, blind spots are called blind spots for a reason, and it's because you cannot see them. And I, I just want to encourage you, like if you're a Christian here this morning, that you might be open to the possibility of having your blind spot exposed and, and, and that you would actually see it. And maybe that you would even pray right now, like as we're beginning the, service, uh, the, the sermon, that the Lord would like graciously reveal to you where you are just missing it, where you're missing it. I mean, there's a lot of Christians today, people who call themselves Christians in the church, um, who just don't really have any type of connection with reality on who they actually are. And they find themselves in, in various circumstances, supporting various things, acting in certain ways uh, that, that do not reconcile with the scriptures. And Jesus wants us to understand that when he calls us to discipleship with him, when he calls us to follow him, 
that he's, he's not simply just saying, here's some things that I do and, you know, um, you know, and this is, this is how bad you stink at, at doing life, that kind of thing. No, he's, he's saying because he actually wants us to do his word. He actually wants us to act on it. And so keep that in mind as we're, uh, we're beginning here. Luke 14, beginning in, in verse one. I wanna explain the passage to you and then kind of go back through it a little bit here. But it says, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Why, why I, I just gotta, yeah, I, we need to point out what's happening here, and that is that these Pharisees are guys who really do not like Jesus. They're constantly trying to catch him. They're constantly trying uh, to get him to say something that's wrong or off. They're really after him. I mean, they are his detractors. They are people who really dislike Jesus. What's really interesting about that, though, is that somebody who really doesn't like Jesus and really has bad motives in inviting him over, uh, so somebody, somebody like that has invited Jesus and yet Jesus receives the invitation. He says, I'll come hang out with you. I'll, I'll eat dinner with you. Jesus hangs out with even people who are actively opposing him, people that are standing in pride against him. Jesus will come in and have dinner. Jesus will come in and have dinner with you. Jesus will come in and have dinner with me. He'll sit and hang out with us. Think about Jesus like this. Think about Jesus as he's not just this distant person, but he's who's, who's so much better than me, or he's not just this this religious leader who would never take the time to have a conversation with me. No, Jesus is the kind of person, and Jesus is showing us God, by the way. Jesus is the kind of person, he'll just sit down and he'll hang out with you. He'll hang out, but just be ready because he might have something to say to you. So it says this, it says that they were watching him carefully and one commentator, uh, Daryl Bach, points out that they were watching lurkingly. And so I can just imagine these Pharisees are sitting there going, what's he going to say? What's he going? They, they're watching just like that, okay? So that's what, that's what they're doing. They're watching lurkingly. Verse two, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, what is dropsy? Well, it is uh, swelling of the joints and perhaps the abdomen and it would have been very obvious that this, that this person had some buildup of fluid. I know that sounds awful, but um, in any case, the man was sick. The man had some medical issues. Now, what you have to ask yourself is, would a man who has dropsy actually be hanging out with a bunch of religious rulers? Is that what would actually be taking place? And I think the answer to that is no. I, I, I don't think that these religious leaders are really hanging out with people who have problems. They're hanging out with the attractive people. They're hanging out with the people that really don't uh, have the medical issues. They don't really have a bunch of needs because like, you know, I don't need all these needy people around me and uh, so on. And so this is kind of weird. Like there's a guy with dropsy and he just happens to be 
at the Pharisee's house? Like, that's pretty strange in some ways. But the previous verse that I just talked to you about as they're watching lurkingly is really pointing to the reality that they are, they have invited this man with dropsy in. They've invited him in. It is on the Sabbath, remember. It's on the Sabbath. And so they've invited this guy, and it looks like they're trying to trap Jesus. We get another indicator on that from verse three. And Jesus responded. What's he responding to? Luke doesn't record that they said anything other than to invite him. But Jesus responded. Jesus is responding, I believe, to the fact that here's a man with dropsy that's sitting in front of him, and he's like, oh, please, guys. Like, come on. Like, you're going to invite me over for dinner. You're going to put some guy who's, who's sick in front of me, and now you're like, we'll see if he'll, let's just see if he'll do it in front of us. Like, if he does it in front of us, then that's it, man. That's it. We're, we're going to catch him in the act. That's how Pharisees talk. But, um, and, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, that's an interesting question. It's interesting because of this. If they say yes, then what that means is that they're, they're invalidating their laws. They're invalidating all of, they're, they're, they're super religious. They're, they're super legalistic. They have a bunch of laws that they've added to scripture. But if, if they say yes, then it's like they've just invalidated their own law, their own way of life and basically said that Jesus is, is right. If they say no, then it shows that they are very uncaring. They don't care about people. They don't love people. I mean, obviously, this, this man has some serious problems. It, I think I read that it, 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 it really has the potential of being fatal. It, it's actually a symptom of other illnesses, organs that are shutting down. Not sure. But if they say yes, it invalidates their rules. If they say no, it shows them to be jerks, which they are. And so Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they, they're just like, I don't know. I don't, I, they're just kind of sitting their hands in their pockets like they, they don't really have an answer for him. And so then he took him, the, the man who has dropsy, and he heals him, and he sent him away. So he takes the guy and he says, yeah, all right, you know, fixes him up. That's how Jesus heals as well. I got lots of, lots of sound effects today, I think. Uh, impressions, there we go. I'm very good at them, too. Um, that's, that's how humble I am uh, about this. Um, he, he, he heals him. He sends them away and he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? All right, if you, uh, okay, so I just healed this guy. So if, if you have a, a son or an ox, um, like, and they fall into the well, would, wouldn't you help them? Wouldn't you serve, or, or do, do you have more care for an animal than you do a person who's sitting in front of you? Is that really what's going on? Like, you care more about oxes? Like, I mean, of course you'd, you'd save your own kid if he falls into a well. And again, they're, they're brought into this situation where they're, they're, they're like, they don't, they don't really know what, what to say, and they could not reply to these things. 
They're dumbfounded. So they bring Jesus in to catch him in the act, to catch him healing someone on the Sabbath. Why is that important? Because you weren't supposed to do work on the Sabbath. And then they added more rules to that on exactly what kinds of work you could do. But they totally forgot about the God of the Bible or the God of the Torah for them. They totally forgot about this God and how much God cares and loves people. And so they disregard people and, uh, and, and, you know, in, in place of the rules. And so uh, Jesus has this major problem with them. They couldn't reply to it. They couldn't, they couldn't deal with it. They couldn't, they couldn't understand it. They had totally missed the point of this God. <clears throat> and really what was going on is that you have these people that are, they just don't see their own, they don't see their own sin. They don't see their own issues. And so Jesus tells two stories. And the story actually goes on, and we'll talk about that next week after verse 14. But I just want to deal with these two here. He says, now he tell, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, Jesus says, okay, let's, let's kind of get down to the core issue here of what's actually going on in your life. Let's get down to the core of what's, what's taking place. At the core of what's happening here, I came in and I sat here and I watched you guys posture and position for a place to sit. It would be like, at any wedding ceremony or wedding uh, reception that we go to, like just coming in and walking straight up to the head table, um, you know, normally the wedding party sits there and stares at you while you're eating and it's awkward, but um, maybe you want to sit there, maybe you want to be there. I don't know why, but um, uh, may, maybe if you're getting married, that's probably why, but um, uh, it'd be like walking straight up there. And Jesus says, I noticed that when y'all came in, like this is what you did. You sat right at the head table. He says, when you're, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you uh, be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's Jesus saying there? Uh, pay close attention to the, the, the first part of that, verse 7, and the last part, verse 11. Verse 7 says, I noticed that you chose the place of honor when you came in the door. I'm telling you, you should choose the place of humility. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is, is speaking a spiritual truth that is true right there and then with these people. And what is he showing? He's showing the hypocrisy of these people who they, they don't care about people so much so that they're unwilling to allow somebody to be healed on the Sabbath. And it extends into their daily life. It extends into... How they even come to a wedding feast. Jesus is showing the comparison between this is what religion is. This is what religion does. What religion does is religion is about a bunch of rules and regulations and it's not about people. And Jesus is showing the hypocrisy of these religious people and he's showing them to be what they are. 
which is fraud. They're, they're fraud. And he's indicating something. We're not just talking about temporary, temporarily being humiliated, but we're talking about eternal humiliation. Look at verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Is Jesus saying you should never have people over that you like? No, he's saying you should have people in addition to that. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus ties all of life and how we act and what we do to what's eternally going to take place. He's saying, I want you to have an eternal perspective. I want, you, I want you to see what's going on. I don't want you to just invite all the people that are just going to make you feel good about yourself. I don't want you to just invite the people who are going to make you feel like, uh, or, or who are going to be able to repay you in the future. I want you to invite the people that could never repay you. I want you to, to associate with the lowly. I want you to associate with these people. Now, Jesus is showing us here the difference between him and these religious leaders. This guy's a rule. It's the house of a ruler. It's somebody who's high up. He's high up in the church in his day. This is somebody who would be very respected uh, in, in their city, in their town. And Jesus is saying, that is not religion. That is not what religion is. And so what is Jesus saying to us? What is Jesus actually communicating to us? Well, first of all, when you look at this, this story, you see some people that are trying to catch Jesus in the act. They're trying to, ex to expose him, and he ultimately ends up exposing them. They're trying to expose who he is. They're trying to expose uh, the fact that he doesn't play by the rules. But Jesus turns around on them. And really what's happening is that we have people who are opposed to Jesus. They're opposed to him, to what he, what he is and what he's like. And many of us in the church today, many of us who claim Jesus, many of us who, who say that we're a part of this thing, in a similar way, are actually sitting in opposition to Jesus. We're actually sitting in opposition to who he is and how he would act and what he would do. We're actually sitting in opposition to the God of the universe. We may not even know it. And we're thinking, I know what's best in this situation. I know what should, should happen here. Jesus shows us two ways to see if we are like the Pharisees. How do we know if we're like the Pharisees? Let me ask you this. Where do you sit when you come to the party of life? These guys all came in the door and they were like, yeah, I guess I'll just sit here. It's the closest one. Oh, it happens to be at the head of the table, the place of honor. Where do you sit when you come to the table of life? 
Do you, do you immediately put yourself at the head of the table? Do you come in and you say, you know, I should be exalted. I should be in a place of, of, of honor. I should be in a, in a position that says, I matter. How, how, how do we do that? How do we do that kind of stuff? I remember a while ago, in fact, it was seven years ago, I had bought a newer Suburban. I had a 99 Suburban before that. It's the old, old body style. I bought a 2007 Suburban in 2014. And with this newer, new to me Suburban, I got a, a, a key fob. My last one had a key fob, but this one had a special key fob because you could do two things with it. You could open the back door. It was so fancy. Like you hit this button, the door opens, and you're just like, dude, I did not even have to touch the handle. Like that, it's, it's an amazing privilege of, of a vehicle. So I had this key fob. You could also start it too. But So one day, uh, my good friends who are actually, uh, uh, they were members at the time of a country club. I am not a member of a country club, but uh, friend, they, uh, I have these friends. They are members of a country club. They have this really awesome pool there. They invited us one day. So we're at the pool. It's amazing. It's super cool. We're hanging out with a lot of people that are, have nicer vehicles than we do uh, for the most part, right? And probably lots of other things. Um, so my wife needed something out of the car, and so I was like, uh, okay, I'll go out to the car and I'll get it. Got my new key fob. I'm walking out to the car. I'm at the country club. I'm walking out to the Suburban. And then I remember, I have the little button. It's going to save me time. I'm just going to open this baby up before I even get there. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, it was, just, it was just a little bit too far. It was like, there was a sense of pride. I am at a country club and I have a car that matches that even though it was seven years old. I, I don't know what it was, but there was, there was a sense of pride in there that I had a, a, a nice vehicle that maybe you know, lived up to the level of Illy Country Club a little bit, right? So I'm walking out of the car, I hit the button, the door opens, and it's just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then all 50 of the cardboard boxes that my wife had stacked up against the back door came out as though my car just took a bathroom break onto the parking lot. I mean, you would not believe how many boxes my wife got into this car, just out onto the parking, uh, parking lot as I'm walking out to my car and then I'm looking and I'm going, oh, there's people looking at me. This is great. So here is this moment of pride that turns into humiliation. See, I have that same struggle. I, I have that same issue. When I come to the party of life, what, what, am, what am I bringing here? What am I looking for? Am I rushing to the head table? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I trying to promote myself as being something more than I am? You can look through social media and you can see this, especially of pastors. Saw someone post, he lives in another state. We don't really hang out or anything, but I saw him post the other day. He said, uh, man, really ministered to today by this quote. 
So I was like, oh, I wonder what the quote is. I read the quote. It was his own words from four years ago. What is going on? See, that seems funny, but at the same time, it's, it's really not that funny. Because here you have a minister who is pridefully um, promoting himself, promoting his own words in some ways. Happens a lot in the ministry. There's a huge, huge need that I think guys who are, who are starting churches, who are new in churches, to say, I'm doing well, I'm doing okay. I've, I've made it. I've, I've accomplished some things. And so it's like, uh, uh, here's a picture of me preaching at someone else's church. So blessed to be able to serve so-and-so's church today. What's that saying? It's, it's a humble brag, which is really not humble at all. It's a humble brag that says, hey, look, I preach so well that someone else wants me to preach on their stage. It's, it's the, the pictures that pastors oftentimes post of, of n- the number of baptisms or the number of people that came to their church. Why am I pointing all that out to you? It's not just to talk about all those darn pastors out there, but it's like, hey, if, if, if this is my battle, if this is my struggle, if this is what I really want, if I really want to rush to the head table, where, where are the rest of us? Because I think what's, what's happening in me, I think what's happening in my life is probably similar to what's happening in your life. How do you rush to the head, head table? It's really easy to see in social media. It's really easy to promote self. And, and I realize there's a real big distinction for those who are in business and, you, and you're trying to promote your business. But how do you do that in such a way that doesn't show you rushing to the head table at the wedding? How do you do that? How, how, do, we, how do we promote ourselves to such a degree that says, hey, look at the thing that I just bought. Hey, uh, so glad that I, I got this promotion. Uh, hey, look at, look at how well my family is held together. Look at the perfection of our lives. Look at, and there, there's something that's happening there, which is showing the reality of who we actually are. In the midst of trying to project some image on the wall of I am successful, I matter, I have stuff, I have made it, I have uh, arrived. In the midst of of trying to, to say that, what we're actually saying is we're saying my value, my dignity, my uh, role in life, my everything is wrapped up in my accomplishment. It's wrapped up in the reality that I have made it in these situations. And I've told you, it's incredibly, incredibly tempting for myself as well. It's incredibly tempting to, to promote myself in this way. What that is showing as we portray ourselves in social media in some way, what it's actually saying about us is it's saying, I do not believe that my value comes ultimately from God. I believe that my value is found in my work. I believe that my value is found in the things that I've acquired. I believe that my value is found in what I can produce and what I provide 
and how many people I've baptized and how many uh, cars I've bought and, and, and how far I've come over the last several years and, and what the relationships in my life look like. It is men and women. So much of it is rushing to the head table at the wedding feast. And it is saying, I need this. I have to have it. I have, I'm, I must have it. But it says in John chapter four, it's read before the service here. Chapter four, verse six, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The most loving thing that Jesus can do for you is to accept your invitation to your house. And when he comes in to prove you wrong, to see you silent in that moment where you don't even have a response, and to begin to say, hey, do you see how you've been acting in this way? Do you see what's been happening here? See, God is gracious. God is kind. God is loving. And he's so loving that he he will allow you to be humiliated in order for you to come to a place of humility. See, social media is not the only place, but it is a big place in our world today. It's a big place in our world that is causing so many problems. I believe that social media, uh, 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 and I, I think, here's why I'm saying this. I think many of you in here could be thinking, yeah, but social media isn't the only place that pride comes through. It's not, but it's the most obvious, and social media is actually showing you what your heart really desires, what your heart really wants. Your heart wants likes. Your heart wants a retweet. Your heart wants positive comments. Your heart wants adulation. Your heart wants, and we, we could just go down the line. And yes, all of that extends into the rest of life. But let me just tell you how damaging it is to have an apparatus that is built around your pride and my pride and self-adulation. Let me tell you how dangerous it is. It's flat out incredibly dangerous. Most of us should remove ourselves from social media. If you're a parent, you should keep your children from being on social media. You are ingraining into them, and I would be doing that as well. Pride, arrogance, insecurity, all kinds of things. The, the, I think the evil in our churches today is is more apparent than we realize. And I believe that it is found very much so in social media. I have not been this clear before with our church. You might think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But I'll bet you if we sat down and we talked about what are your habits 
with social media and what does that look like for you? I'll bet you we could find some areas where we'd say, listen, this is motivated by pride. It is motivated by the desire. The little number of likes on that post, when you post it, that is feeding your soul in a way that only God should feed it. And when you allow that to feed your soul, when you allow that to be the thing, what happens is this is that you grow in pride instead of growing in humility. And that is coming to the head table and saying, I belong here. I should be here. I should be a part of this. As a side note, I'll say uh, a couple things just on that. I, um, I'm hoping that I'm encouraging you, perhaps even scaring you on some level to uh, looking at your social media um, uh, habits. Um, I also want to encourage you, if you're a, a parent with children in, in, in school or something like that, um, I want to encourage you to get a book called Irreversible Damage. Uh, it's a book called Irreversible Damage, and it speaks specifically uh, about young girls and how they're being attracted into transgenderism. This is written by a liberal Democrat, someone who's very supportive of trans la lifestyle and homosexuality and stuff, which obviously we are not in uh, support of, but this book tells the truth about what's actually going on in that world. It's not the only thing that's happening there. That is a thing that's happening there. It's destroying our children. It's destroying you. It's destroying me. It's not great. How do you come to the head of the table in your marriage or your relationships? How do you come and you sit at the head table in your home, in your dorm room, in your apartment, in your what, whatever it is, in, just in your relationship. How do you do that? You, 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 you say, I, I need someone who makes me feel good about myself. I did it. I, and and I, I love my wife. She does make me feel good about myself. But... Our world is so designed for you and I to get exactly what we want out of life. Our world is so designed to, to say, no, you should have somebody that's always going to build you up, that's always going to lift you up, that's always going to do this and do that and do the other thing for you. And the truth is that we come as these arrogant, prideful, selfish people into our relationships, into our workplaces, into the places where we are. And we're destroying people. And we're destroying lives. Because we have not recognized this, that we're walking in as a prideful person. We're walking in as a person who has no humility, like these Pharisees. And God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Guess what? Marriage in so many ways, is about taking you from being a completely prideful, arrogant, selfish, rude individual and sticking you with another prideful, arrogant, selfish individual and having you both learn 
humility. Because guess what? Your marriage won't work if there is no humility. You cannot always be right. My wife tells me that often. I cannot always, it's, it's statistically, it's impossible. I cannot always be in the right. I cannot always be the person who wins. I cannot always be the one who's always right and everybody else is wrong. That's a way that we come to the head table and we take a seat and we say, yeah, I should be here. This is where I should be. Our world is feeding you a lie. Much of that, yes, is coming through social media, internet, whatever. But it's already in us. It's already a part of us. It's, our, it's, it's, it's part of our nature. The second thing that I want you to look at out of here is who do you invite into your life? Because Jesus is showing us something. He's saying, your pride at the very core of the opposition that you have towards God is going to come out in how you rush to the head table. But then the second way that it's going to come out is it's going to be who do you invite into your life? Who do you invite to the party? Who do you invite into the circumstances of your lives? Is there anyone who has a need? Is there anyone who, and you might say, you know what, my, my, I, I do serve my friends. And I would say, yes, that's great. But Jesus is, I think he's saying this in part because he's, he's saying, hey, y'all just invited the guy with dropsy just to try to prove a point here. You didn't invite him here because you thought he needed help and then you put him in front of me. No, you were trying to catch me in the act. You weren't trying to help him. You're trying to help you. And that's the way that much service happens these days. It's like, I'm, I'm not going to actually serve them. I'm going to make me feel better. I'm going to serve myself. But Jesus says, hey, like when you have a, when you have a dinner or a banquet, and, and I just imagine that this is the banquet of life. Like, don't just bring people into your life who can repay you. Don't just bring people into your life who can just make things uh, better for you, who can advance your career, who can pay you for something that you've done, invite you back. I scratch my back, you scratch. No, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. You did it the other way too, but. Don't just invite people like that, but in, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. See, I don't know that Christian people are particularly good at inviting those people in. In fact, I'll say this. I don't know that I'm good at that. I'm, I think I'm good at hospitality. I don't think I've been great at being open all the time to everybody. And it's, it's hard sometimes as, as a pastor because there's a lot of people and you, and you go, okay, who can I, who, who, who can I bring into my, my life? And I can't always do that, but, but I wonder, are we asking the question, who am I inviting into my life who's crippled and lame and blind? It seems like a simple question, but it's an indicator on where am I actually at with God? Am I actually sitting in pride and arrogance 
in opposition to him or or am I walking with him Jesus is indicating something here and that is if we've received the grace of God that grace is going to extend into our life if we've been humbled by the gospel that gr- that grace extends into our life and it and it is passed on to other people if we've been humbled at the core you you can't receive the gospel without first having a measure and not a, not a measure but a, a a humility attack if you will it it you, you cannot receive the gospel until you see your humiliation before God. See, the gospel exposes the reality that I've been opposed to God. The gospel exposes the reality that I'm just like these Pharisees who are sitting there trying to catch Jesus in the act. The gospel exposes that, yeah, I'm that bad. The gospel exposes that I don't really want people in my life who cost me money. I don't really want people in my life who are, uh, uh, who are crippled or lame and I have a bunch of needs. They're needy people. The gospel exposes the fact that I, I just want to come to the, you know, the, the banquet. I want to sit at the wedding feast. I want to sit at the head table and I just want to be the thing that everybody is about. The gospel exposes that, but it does more than expose that. It forgives that. It offers grace to you. And I think what Jesus really wants us to see is, is, is this, is that if you've received my gospel, if you really were a religious leader, Pharisees, if you really had received the grace of God, that grace, that humility would have been extending to everybody else around you. That, that grace would in turn cause you to care about people. It would cause you to care about people that have issues, problems. So let me ask you something. What does your desire to promote yourself in the world, not just in social media, but in your home, uh, in your work, whatever, what does that say about where you're at? Does it, does it prove that you're forgiven or does it show that you don't really understand the grace of Jesus? Because that may be what needs to happen. Because the, the truth is what, what may be taking place in your life is that you've, you're still trying to win God's favor through what you're doing. And secondly, who do you invite into your life that needs grace? And if that's not there, did you, do you realize that you are lame, that you are crippled, that you're a beggar, that you have problems, that you had all of those things when Jesus saved you? And for you not to turn around and offer that to someone else is pretty shameful. But that's also shame that Jesus went to the cross for. And he forgives you for that. So what we're doing here today 
is we just want to see the reality of who we are. We just want to acknowledge this. I think all of us would be well served to say, I'm more prideful than I ever thought I possibly could be. I mean, could you just think that to yourself right now? I'm actually more prideful than I think I am. You just admit that. Could you say that to your, your spouse? I'm more prideful than I want to admit, and that's probably why we get into so many fights. Could you say that to your roommate? And I'm, I'm actually more prideful than, than I really want to believe. Could you say that to a, a coworker? You say, you know what? Something that I've just realized is that I've just been super prideful in my work with you. Oh, they're a non-Christian. I think that'd be weird. Uh, I think it might display something. It might display that you've finally been humbled. It might display the reality that you are humiliated over your sin. Can we go to the Lord's table? Can I just say this, that Jesus was humiliated on the cross because of your pride and my pride. Jesus was humiliated when he he did not deserve it for me. Can we take a moment, bow our heads, and just, let's just think through. In what ways am I opposed to God? In what ways have I seated myself at the head table? Who am I inviting into my life? Does any of that show that I've received the grace of Jesus? Praise God if that's what you're experiencing. Just take a moment. Let's process that. Lord Jesus, would you cleanse me of my sins, my desire to be first, my desire to not be inconvenienced by people with needs. Lord Jesus, forgive me for that. Lord, forgive me for the things that I've done this week that I'm not proud of, that I'm ashamed of. Maybe even the things that I don't know about that I haven't even thought of. Lord, I recognize that you went to the cross for me. And I, and I see that you, you just want me to be reminded once again of that. So Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for me. Can you do this in remembrance of Jesus? Lord, I'm, I'm thankful, but I don't always feel like it for your blood. It's through your blood that we have the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, thank you so much that you have poured out your blood 
for my sin. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in our church. Lord, I pray that there would be husbands that apologize to wives today and say, I've really been a prideful jerk. I've been walking around like a Pharisee. I pray that there would be wives that apologize to husbands and say, I've, I'm really more prideful than I think. I pray that there would be roommates who reconcile and, and ask for forgiveness. I pray that there would be coworkers who are able to communicate the gospel to one another through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.